to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Resurrection always refers to the bodily resurrection. So people often ask this question, where do people go after they die and and why does it say that the dead will rise first? Does that mean that they've just been sort of, you know, sleeping for thousands of years? Or, you know, what, is, what does it mean? No, it, it means their bodies. Because the resurrection is about the body. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of 1 Corinthians. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 through 58, in a message titled, The Image of the Heavenly Man. Now, here's Pastor Brian. They will compromise and come up with ideas like, well, you know, Adam and Eve, they they probably weren't the first people. You know, they probably were actually part of a Neolithic race that existed. And yet at a certain point in time, God sort of just touched them and he made them aware of his presence. And that's how they came into existence because we know that there couldn't have just been two people. And, and, you know, I mean, certain theologians who dabble with liberal ideas, they, they come up with these kinds of suggestions. But the problem is, Paul says that not only was Adam the first man, but he was made of the dust. He was not a descendant from a Neolithic race. He was not just a hominid that at some point God enlightened. No, he was made of dust, just like Genesis said, and just like Jesus taught. So point being, there are so many things that we could delve more deeply into here. But what I want us to see before we move into verse 50 is I want us to just think for just this moment about, again, bearing the image of the heavenly man. Bearing the image of the heavenly man. As sure as you're sitting here today, as sure as you're in a body that was passed down to you from generation to generation, beginning with Adam, as sure as that is a reality, you will bear in the future the image of the heavenly man. God has an amazing, glorious, unimaginable, unthinkable future in store for those who have trusted in him. And Jesus is the first fruits of that. He's the one. And Jesus rose, the the distinction between the resurrection of Jesus and other resurrections that we have in the Bible is, of course, that Jesus rose to never die again. Jesus rose, and he rose in a body that was the same body because he bore the, the wounds from the crucifixion, but it was also different. It was a glorified body. And so, as Paul is saying, there are earthly bodies. Those are the ones we're obviously living in now, but there are also heavenly bodies. And we who have borne the image of the earth, the man of dust, will bear the image of the man of heaven. That's what everyone who believes in Christ has to look forward to, the glorified state. 
ruling and reigning with Christ in a new body that is no longer subjected to sin and corruption and and all of those things that we deal with here and now. So that brings us to the final verses here. And so Paul says in verse 50, he says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters. So this is, he's sort of, in a sense, he's summing it up, but then he's transitioning. He says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So the kingdom of God, now we've talked a lot, even in in this series, we've talked about the kingdom that's already, but not yet. We are part of the kingdom. We've entered into the kingdom. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is at hand and so forth. And so in, in one sense, the kingdom is here, but in its ultimate sense, the kingdom isn't here. And what Paul is also telling us is that the kingdom in its ultimate sense cannot be entered into by flesh and blood. So he then says this. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. And just note, when Paul says sleep, He's talking about dying. We will, and we can just read it that way. We will not all die, but we will be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we, speaking of those who are alive at the time, will be changed. Now, there's a few things here that we need to consider. So Paul here, he's talking about the resurrection, but he's also talking about this translation of the living saints. He is going to talk about the worldwide demonstration of Christ's victory over death. And then finally, in verse 58, he will call us to fully give ourselves to the work of the Lord. But let's back up and look for a moment Uh, At verse 51, listen, I tell you a mystery. Paul, it seems, was given this understanding of this, this idea that there would be a generation of people who would not die, but who would be instantly translated into the glorified state. So when he says, I show you a mystery. The word here, mystery, is a word that means, and is used this way throughout the New Testament, something previously hidden, but now being revealed. So Paul is saying, I'm going to tell you something that has not yet really been clarified. Now, there have been hints at this. Jesus hinted at it. I think, in Luke 21. But here, Paul is going to really spell it out. And so, he's going to basically say, a generation of believers in Jesus will not die, but will undergo an instantaneous transformation to the glorified state. There's one other place in the New Testament where Paul 
describes this event here. And it's in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And let me, let me read it. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we, Paul's assumption is that that could happen in his lifetime, we who are alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. Now, the words caught up in verse 17 here, in the Latin translation, the word that's used is the word that we get our English word rapture from. So this is a rapture text. But this is a a parallel passage to 1 Corinthians 15. Paul is essentially saying the same thing in both passages, but he's saying them in in a bit of a different context. But there's obviously some, the context is similar as well, because the question is, for the Thessalonians, the question is, what about the people that have died? The Lord hasn't come back yet, and some of our brothers and sisters have died. So in their minds, they're thinking that, well, they they missed the kingdom. And so Paul is saying, no, they haven't missed the kingdom. And we will not precede them. In other words, when Christ returns, they will be raised. And when we talk about resurrection, just know this. Resurrection always refers to the bodily resurrection. It's always the body. So people often ask this question. Well, like, what is this talking about? Like, you know, where do where do people go after they die? And and why does it say that the dead will rise first? Does that mean that they've just been sort of, you know, sleeping for thousands of years? What you know, what is what does it mean? No, it, it means their bodies. Because the resurrection is about the body as we've been seeing, about the body, your body, my body, not being discarded, not being done away with, but being glorified. So Paul's talking to them about that, and he describes it as this this being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So this transitional thing takes place instantly, as Paul said to the Corinthians as well, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, the Greek word here is the word harpazo, which means, as is translated, caught up, or it can mean suddenly taken away. 
But this is what I want us to see. The point isn't as much on being taken away as it is on being immediately translated to the glorified state. And I think it's, it's important that we see that. Because a lot of times, the emphasis has been on being taken away, being caught up, getting out of this place. Because it's all going to hell in a handbasket anyway, so we're, we're just getting out of here. But I don't think that's the, I don't think that's what Paul really had in mind when he was teaching us this. I don't, I don't think he was saying, okay, you guys just know this, man. It's all going to burn, so just buckle your seatbelt. Won't be long, and then we'll be out of here. He certainly couldn't have been saying that because 2,000 years have passed since he said these words. But that's the way it's been interpreted by many in the last several decades. And it's been a way that I have at times interpreted it as well. But I think, again, the real point is that he's talking about this immediate translation to the glorified state. And so he's talking about resurrection. He's talking about this translation to the glorified state. And then he says this, In verse 53, he says, For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with the immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, so when this event takes place, that's what he's describing, and the mortal, the perishable with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in And this is something that I think is oftentimes missed. Because when we think of this event, again, we tend to think of it, we we tend to think of it more subjectively. Like this is for us to get us out of this God-forsaken world. And there's that element to it, of course. There's a judgment that's coming, and God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation. But this event is not so much about us as it's about Christ. That's what we need to understand. What this event is going to do is it's going to display the victory of Jesus over death to all the world. Now think about this. There were, in comparison, relatively few people who experienced, encountered the resurrected Christ. We know from earlier in the chapter, Paul says that one, you know, 500 people saw him at one time. That's amazing. But in comparison, there were relatively few. The gospel has gone out historically, people have responded to the gospel by believing that Christ rose from the dead. But we know by and large, the vast majority of the world, if they even think about Jesus at all, when they hear about the resurrection, they just dismiss that as a fable. This event is going to be God's vindication, in a sense, of his son. 
This event is going to display to the world the victory of Christ over death. And so it is a fulfillment of the amazing promise of God through the prophet Hosea. The Lord spoke through Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, and he said this, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Paul is saying when this event happens, when people all around the world simultaneously are translated into glory immediately, then this saying will come true. This will be the demonstration. And of course, at the return of Christ, it will be an even more crystal clear demonstration of his victory over death. So Paul, having said that, he then says this. Well, he he goes on, he says, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, therefore. So in other words, in light of everything that I've been telling you about the resurrection, this is how you are to respond. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, Now, let me just put it in the negative for a second. Our response is not to adopt an escapist mentality. We're not to adopt an escapist mentality. We're here in the world to do something. And if we're always thinking, I just want to get out of here. We just need to escape. We're not going to be able to do what we're here to do. So we don't want to adopt an escapist mentality, nor should we be sitting around trying to put all the pieces of the end times puzzle together. People have been occupying themselves with that for decades, and it always proves fruitless because nobody ever gets it right. Let's just be honest. How many times have we heard the predictions and been told the scenarios, and this is how it's all going to unfold, and this is how it's all going to happen, and then everything in the world changes. And so we got to come up with another interpretation. But we're not intended to do that. We're not to make predictions about the Lord's return. This is something that he has put in his own time. You think of the apostles themselves. I mean... After the resurrection of Jesus, just before the ascension, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They thought that, okay, this is it. This this is what we, now, you know, we thought you were just going to come and bring in the kingdom. We didn't realize there was going to be a cross and a resurrection and all that. But surely now that all of that is done, all of that unforeseen stuff has come to pass, Surely now you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel, right? And what did Jesus say? He said, it is not for you to know. It is not for you to know things that the Father 
has put in his own time. It's not for you to know that. You're not to be preoccupied with that, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you're going to go out and you're going to be witnesses to me to the end of the earth. This is something that they did not foresee. For them, it was like, okay, man, this, this whole cross thing really threw us, for a, threw us for a loop. But the resurrection solved all that. So surely now is the time for the kingdom. But it's not for you to know that. So God help us not to continue to make the mistakes of predicting when the Lord is going to return. Rather, what do we do? Stand firm in our faith. Stand firm in our faith, not being moved every time the sand shifts under our feet. Just standing firm in our faith because if we believe that Christ died and rose again, then we believe that Christ will come again. And he will come and sort it all out in his time. And so we are to stand firm. We are to let nothing move us. We are to always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Or as the New King James says, that we are to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Or other translations say we are to excel in the work of the Lord. What is the work of the Lord? Well, of course, the work of the Lord is is getting the gospel to those who haven't heard it. And discipleship is the work of the Lord. And serving one another as the people of God is the work of the Lord. And serving the community that God has placed us in is the work of the Lord of the Lord and seeking to advance the influence of the kingdom of God as far and wide as we can in this world, that is the work of the Lord. And we are to be excelling in it. We are to be abounding in it. We are to give ourselves fully to it. You know, there's so many people today just kind of running around, directionless, They know about Jesus. They've received the gospel, but they've got all other kinds of priorities. Paul says, give yourself fully. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Whatever you do for Jesus, he sees it. He appreciates it. And one day he's going to reward us for it. So give ourselves in light of all this. This is, this is again, Paul's conclusion. In light of all this, let's, let's give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord. You're never going to regret doing that. At the end of your life, you're never going to say, I shouldn't have served the Lord as diligently. But of course, many often say, I wish I would have done more. 
I wish I would have been more serious. Let's not be that group. For the month of April, Back to Basics Radio is offering a timely resource titled One Minute Answers to Skeptics by Charlie Campbell. Has a skeptic in your life ever stumped you with questions regarding God, social ethics, or supposed contradictions in the Bible? Well, with this book, One Minute Answers to Skeptics, concise responses to the top 50 objections and questions by Charlie Campbell, you can be equipped to address the questions of skeptics on those exact topics and many others. If you want to be equipped to always be ready to give a defense of the faith, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of 1 Corinthians. Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.